From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hey, y'all. It's Elizabeth here. Welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am today about our guest. Her name is Mary Lenneberg, and I first met her via her blog when her sweet daughter, Courtney, was alive, and I was immediately struck by her courage and her selfless love and her choice to press deeply into her vocation and her season of life and just give herself to her family with abandon. And Mary has since escorted her daughter to Jesus's arms and now spends her time loving on the church at large with her speaking and her writing ministry. And I was blessed to meet her in person at Liv Harrison, our co-host on these episodes, Liv Harrison's Genius Conference this past March. And I legit burst into tears when she walked in the room because I was so moved by finally getting to meet her in real life. And I remember through my tears as she was embracing me, I remember hearing someone comment on the fact that it had taken exactly 15 seconds into genius for someone to start crying. (laughs) And I was like, that's just going to be this weekend, Lord, come. And I'm so honored, y'all, that she's with us today. And I'm so honored we get to share her with you. So Mary's bio is in the show notes if you'd like more information about her. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Mary to the show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm so good. I'm still so I like she when she popped up on my zoom screen as we're doing this podcast, I legit almost burst into tears again. But I was like, got to keep her cool. Got to keep you are good for a girl's (laughs) ego. That's great. It's very sweet. No, I remember that meeting at genius. And it really it was the first it was the meet and greet. And it was we literally walked in the room and you were first in line. And so I was because I wanted to see you to see you. Yeah, (laughs) it's very humbling. And I, I so appreciate it. That was just a God God's gift to me. So amen. I'm glad you were there. Oh, thank you. So we are going to be talking about something deeply intimate and personal today, guys, Mary and her husband's experience with pornography in her marriage. I'm so glad to say that there are finally people talking openly about the harmful effects of pornography on people's lives and relationships, but I still don't think it's talked about enough in the relationships themselves. So it's spoken about at large more than it was, but people uh, within themselves, just don't talk about it very much. It's such an uncomfortable topic. It's so intimate. It's so that you just, ha- you know, almost feel like you have to walk on eggshells, but that is not, um, that is not God's design, right? We do not live no. in shame. We do not live in shame. We live in freedom in Christ. So, um, I think that people who don't have porn in their lives assume that their partner either doesn't or would never, so they don't bring it up or they're uncomfortable bringing it up and think it's not an issue. And then the people who struggle with it either are battling through it, right? With all the shame and struggle that accompanies that fight to break free or, and so because of that, they're not comfortable to talk about it or on the opposite end, they're immersed in the culture that says porn is fine and harmless. And they don't think to bring it up because why would anyone care? Right? So we here at the Discerning Marriage Podcast, we're going to talk about it, y'all. We're going to dive in. We are not afraid to do hard things here. And we're going to walk with you and accompany you to deep dive into this reality of pornography and the effect on your life. And so talking about porn and masturbation and the role that you want them to play in your marriage or not play in your marriage, as the case is, um, can be one of the hardest conversations you'll have 
with your partner before you get married, but it's so important. Your conjugal relationship is at the core of your married life, which means any porn use, any masturbation is also at the core of your married life. So in order to facilitate these conversations, I've invited Mary, who's written a book that's literally called Be Brave and the Scared, to help me be brave to talk to you about this, to help y'all be brave in these really scary moments. And so she's gonna tell us her story in the hope that you gain courage from her courage. So are you ready to dive in, Mary? I am. I'm ready. Wonderful. Let's do it. Let's go. So as I said a second ago, you have a really powerful testimony about the effect of pornography on your husband and your marriage. So for people who haven't read your book or haven't heard you talk about this, could you please share your story with us? Sure. I'd be honored to. Um, so I have been married to my awesome husband, Jerry, for 32 years now. Um, I met him on a blind date. He wasn't my blind date. He was my girlfriend's blind date. But, you know, that's a story for another time. And everybody was happy at the end of the night. So don't, don't read anything into that. That was just God's way of, of introducing us to one another. So my husband was a midshipman at the Naval Academy. And pornography uh, is very steeped in our military. And it is because they spend a lot of time away from their wives, away from their families. And so that physical intimacy um, is taken from them. And it's just, it's just part of their life there. So I didn't know that per se when I met him. I was raised in a Catholic family with six brothers and a sister. Um, my parents, I was not exposed to porn as a child. We didn't have what they have today, like a, a, a cell phone. At the mm -hmm. age of eight, you can yeah. have an exposure to, to porn. Mm. My first exposure was through romance novels. Mm. And I remember my first romance novel. I'm not even going to give you the name because I don't want anybody to look it up and read it because um, I'm going to keep you away from that near occasion to sin. But okay. I remember I was in high school and I remember reading and they were very, they, they wrote out the physical description of sex, you know, of this couple having sex. And it was very powerful to me. And I had deep feelings about it. Now, I had gone to Catholic schools. I knew what masturbation was. I knew not to masturbate. Basically, I grew up with the nuns that said, if you touched yourself in an intimate manner, you would go blind. Like literally, that's what the nuns said to me. <laughs> not true. Wish it were true. Then there'd be a lot of blind people in the world. But I mean, you know, you just it was an old fallacy. But that's what they said. Don't do it because you'll go blind. I think they were just trying to find something that scared you. Right. into not That's doing it. Tactic. So I didn't, I didn't, I did not masturbate, but I read, I read every room that just opened a door to me. I watched soap operas. I did it all behind my parents' back. Hmm. They never knew. Um, I remember my mom finding some silhouette romance novels under my bed when she was cleaning and, um, I lost my library card for six months. So I just <laughs> used my friends and I left the books at her house and I would, we would sit outside on the back porch after school for the two hours we were allowed to visit you know, before I had to be home for dinner and we'd read romance novels. So, I mean, I found a way, you find a way, right? So that was my first exposure. I did not recognize it as pornography at the mm. time. I did not. No one said it was porn. My mom just called it filth, whatever. Mom called everything filth. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, I just didn't discern that. Okay. So then you have my husband who at the age of 10, I found out later at the age of 10 began masturbating. Mm. This was normal. His mom was a nurse. Um, he never had the talk from his parents, you know, the sex talk, his mother gave him a book all about his sexuality when he was 10 and it taught you how to masturbate. Like that's what it was because it was your body. And this is just what men did, right? Because they're animals apparently, and they can't control their sexual desires, which is a complete and total fallacy. But this is, this was the mindset of the day. 
So um, he had Playboy. He had his father had Playboy. His brother had Playboy, you know, or worse, Hustler and all of those other awful, horrible things. Then he goes to the Naval Academy and it's, you know, it's a group fest. Everybody has them. Mm. So this was, um, he watched, they went to strip clubs. They watched porn movies. Now, I didn't know that, okay? So you have two people that have now met one another. We have these experiences that are hidden behind a closed door. And we did not discuss it with one another. Mm -hmm. I never discussed it with him. He never discussed it with me. I did not think to discuss it. Right. Because it was just, we read romance novels. He watched these things. We didn't even think about it. We get married. We have two children. We have two miscarriages. And our second child that you spoke of, our daughter, Courtney, um, ended up having a seizure disorder and spent her life, 22 years with us, profoundly disabled. So what happened in my marriage in the first three years of Courtney's life was everything imploded. When you have a crisis that hits a marriage of two people who feel unworthy of love, we didn't know that at the time. That's what therapy has, has helped us understand. We have these addictions. Mine had moved on from romance novels to food. So mm-hmm. I um, would, would eat in a way that was like a bulimic, but I didn't throw up. Mm-hmm. So I just was pounding down Dorito after Dorito, cupcake after cupcake, trying to get all of those emotions that I couldn't acknowledge and I couldn't reach and because I, I didn't know what to do with them. Sure. And in my family, you didn't go to therapy because that was what crazy people did. And I wasn't crazy. I was just in crisis. So Courtney was this volcano and everything that was underneath the surface came bubbling out and like lava, it burns and it destroys Mm -hmm. everything in its path. And what happened was I came downstairs one night and my husband, we've been married five years, four years, four years. Um, no five, somewhere in there anyways, (laughs) doesn't matter. And he was watching a porn movie on his computer. And I'd never seen him do that. And I went upstairs and I baked three dozen brownies. I ate two dozen and then left a dozen on the, on the stove. And he came to bed. We made love and I was destroyed. I didn't know what to do. Like it was a complete physical rejection of me. Hmm. And so that went on for a time hidden, you know, I would eat, he would watch porn. And finally, Um, One night I decided in my moment of being brave, wrong kind of bravery, but at the time that's all I could garner. I was afraid that he was going to leave me because he was no longer finding physical satisfaction with me as his, as his wife, because he was watching porn. And so I came to him and I said, if this is going to be a part of your life, then I need to know what it is. And we're going to deal with this together. Now, what I thought in that conversation would be him no longer watching porn and figuring things out led to me diving into the addiction with him for the next seven years out of fear that I would be left alone with two children, Mm. one of whom had severe special needs. And um, it was pretty much opening up the gates of hell on our marriage. Mm. But again, it was not something we knew to discuss because nobody talked about it. It was not something we knew as an addiction. And so what was happening was what we were allowing to happen in the bedroom became more, uh, I don't even have a word for it. You know, uh, let's, we're being very open and very honest here without causing scandal, but there were, you know, uh, 
we brought in manuals. The, mm -hmm. There's a very famous manual of Eastern religion. I'm not even going to say the name, but that we read that. We looked at that. Oh, look at that. We could try that. I mean, it became a trapeze circus is what it was like, literally not, not to laugh, but like it was not making love to your husband. Right. It was all about sex. It was all about my personal need for an orgasm, his personal need for an orgasm. It was about us. We were in lust. Mm -hmm. We were in the land of lust. And what we came to understand was when you do not have God in your bedroom, leading you through the most intimate act that he has given you, this beautiful gift of the marital embrace, this beautiful gift of the physical body giving, one giving to another. If you don't put God at the head of that to build a family, to support this beautiful marriage, this beautiful friendship, because we are each other's path to sanctification. If you don't put God at the head of that, then there is somebody else waiting to take his place. And his name is Satan, and his job is to destroy you, to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family. And so we had opened the gates. And over the course of the next seven years, everything happened. So many things, financial horribleness, our daughter getting sicker and sicker, our son struggling, our extended families having issues. I mean, it just... Every good thing flows from the sacrament of marriage. That is my mm. primary vocation. I am wife and mother. And if that sacrament has been defiled in any way, then it is just seeping and oozing sin. Mm. And it has to be restored and repaired and renewed in order for blessing to come. Mm. And so that is what theology of the body brought to us, but not for many years. We were unaware of it, didn't know it existed. <sighs> yeah. So that's, I mean, so we, we went through that and then we had been married in 2007. Gosh, I don't even know how many years that is. We got married in 1988. Do the math. Um, our pastor had come to us. We had had this beautiful experience with our daughter in Lourdes in 2000 that changed the course of our life. Our lady stepped in. Mm. Our lady stepped in. And literally threw that mantle over all of us, all four of us, and kind of gave us shelter in a way that was unexpected and surprising and beautiful. And it began a journey individually for Jerry to recognize he had an addiction to sex. Mm. He had an addiction to pornography. For me to recognize I had an addiction to food and that I had an addiction to pornography and that we had to go on these individual walks while walking together as a married couple of healing ourselves. And once we were able to accept the woundedness of the primary wound from our childhoods of not being worthy of love, mm. as we were, just as we were, perfection made by God. Once we were able to get to that point through therapy, through spiritual direction, through marriage counseling, um, through being supported by a group of married couples who they themselves had broken marriages in different ways, but all kind of walking together through having a mentor couple who are now our best friends in the, all the world, um, who are like our brother and sister that stood with us in the deepest, darkest, most wounded places when you, you know, would make a mistake and 
somebody would, you know, masturbate and then you'd have to go to confession and then you'd feel such shame and such guilt. And this is not what God called marriage to be. And, um, and yet they would sit with us and go, it's okay. You, you know what you did was wrong. You have gone before the Lord in humility. You don't want to do it again. Okay. So now we start anew and they walk through us through with, you know, through such, such darkness. And the crises didn't stop with our children. You know, life happens, things happen. But once we made that change uh, in Lourdes to open our lives up to, the, to God through our daughter, you know, she's the one that taught us how to love. She's the one that taught us how to fight. She's the one that taught us how to be brave. And she did it without ever taking a step or saying the word. Mm. And once we opened that door and had that experience, which was very confusing and we didn't even know we had had it for four years, things changed. Mm. And we slowly walked back toward God. We stopped doing porn. We stopped masturbating. We stopped. We removed everything from our home that had anything to do with a romance novel or um, sex that was not holy. Mm -hmm. Um, We started praying uh, before we made love. We prayed, and we still do to this day, we pray to St. Michael to protect our marriage bed. We pray to St. Mary Magdalene to be present um, we ask our daughter's intercession because we believe she is a saint in heaven um, because she was never able to sin. And, uh, and we ask that together. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and that's where we are today. But we came through this journey of theology of the body in 2007. We were asked to be marriage mentors for our parish. And uh, we laughed at Father because we said, you're insane. Uh, <laughs> that you would ask us, like, because he knew he had been walking with us. He, he knew everything. Like, why would you ask us to, to walk with young couples who are discerning marriage? And he said, because you have fought the good fight and you're mm-hmm. still in it. And you have faced addiction and you're still together. And mm-hmm. you have humbled yourself and gone before the Lord and asked for redemption and forgiveness. And you still love each other, <laughs> like hanging out with each other and think the other one is pretty cool. And he goes, that doesn't happen. That's a miracle. Amen. And so I... Uh, I didn't think my husband would say yes, because one of the options there was we needed to learn natural family planning, and we had never done that. We had gotten our tubes tied when I was 25. We had closed ourselves to other children, and uh, we did that out of fear and lack of faith. And, um, and so I was very secure that Jerry was going to say no. And uh, the Holy Spirit showed up in a big way, and he <laughs> said yes. And so we went to Christopher West's Theology of the Body and had a profound life-changing experience the immersion course in yes. at black rock yes mm. and we brought our daughter with us because we couldn't leave her my mom came with us so my mom took care of my daughter during the day and christopher talked the course and i remember sitting there on the first day thinking we need to go home like mm. i can't i can't handle um the emotions that were coming i can't handle the mm. shame the memories because here's the thing about pornography it is a visual addiction um, with drugs, with alcohol, and even with my issues with food, I can walk away from them. I can physically remove myself from that addiction. That's a really good point. With pornography, it stays with you your entirety of your life. Because right now, as I'm talking to you, if I so willed it, I can pull up an image from a movie or a magazine or a story that I've read. Mm. 
And if I choose to, I can give in to that physical pleasure that is contrary to God's word, and I can sin. And all it takes is for me to close my eyes and think about it. Mm. So pornography addiction is so destructive because it is a mental addiction. It is a, a situation that can be with you 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Whether you're making love to your spouse, whether you're um, missing them because they're on a business trip, whether it doesn't matter. It's always with you. So we're sitting there on the first day of Christopher West. He's explaining all of this to us. Jerry and I are physically separated from one another. Like mm-hmm. I keep scooching away from him. He keeps scooching away from me. We were so overwhelmed with all the things. There were good things, good things we needed to think about, pray through. But as Christopher does, he walks you through to day three. And day three is the breaking. That's what we call it in this house. And that's when he starts talking about porn and prostitution, lust versus love, and what sex is all about. Hmm. And in that first hour of that day, I wanted to throw up. I wanted to run away so far, Mm -hmm. so fast, because the shame that came upon me was a physical weight. Mm -hmm. And my husband wouldn't hold my hand. And he wouldn't make eye contact with me. And we had one session where Christopher explained, lust is to want only for yourself. It's all about your own physical pleasure. To love is to sacrifice that because you want the other. It's putting another before you. And to treat someone in lust is basically treating them like a prostitute or a Mm -hmm. sex slave. And to expect them to meet your needs in that way is a mortal sin. Now, I knew it was a mortal sin, and we had been going to confession. But for many years, for seven, eight, nine years, we had gone to Mass and received the Eucharist without confession. So imagine compounding that mortal sin for Mm. years. And all of that dropped on us like just the lava. It was lava, and we were burning And so uh, Christopher had brought in um, these beautiful priests that had been trained to hear confession, specifically about sexual sin or abuse in any way, anything having to do with the physical body. And we both went to confession that day. And I was in confession for almost an hour and a half. The beautiful Franciscan priest that I went to confession, I I can sort of remember what his face looks like. He was so gentle, his expression. And I got in there and I'm wringing my hands, literally. And he said, Mary, I just want you to start at the beginning. I just want you to start at the first moment you remember having a sexual desire that was not, you know, that you somehow think was bad. Mm. He goes, I'm not even going to put anything else. I just want you to start there and we're just going to walk through. And we did. And that's when I recognized what romance novels were. That's what I recognized. Mm. I had been blaming porn on my husband, Mm. but I myself had been participating in pornography of a different way. Well before him. Well before him. Mm. Like, what did I bring? Where was my responsibility in the marriage? Wow. Where was his responsibility in the marriage? Mm. You know, what had we visited upon our children with their exposure to a magazine sitting on the table? Or, you know, that might have provocative images in it. Not, not like Playboy or something, but just think of a fashion magazine. Sure. You know, uh, for a teenage boy looking at right. girls in bikinis, Sports Illustrated, you know, any of that. 
So we walk through and then Jerry walked through. And I remember I have never had a confession. Well, no, I had one other confession I can remember like that, but I walked out and it was like I had lost 50 pounds. <laughs> and I literally walked out Love to the back view. porch. If you've been up in, in, in Pennsylvania, he's got this beautiful black porch that looks at the woods. Nobody else was on the porch. And I remember standing there and I wept. I just wept. I was so relieved to know that it was really done, that it was truly done. Like no more, done, 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 done. And I was weeping and Jerry came and he stood next to me and he took my hand and I couldn't look at him because I didn't know what was going to happen. I was like, he's going to tell me he can't do this. He wants a divorce. He's going to tell mm -hmm. me that I need to lose 30 pounds because he's not sexually attracted to me anymore. I can't, you know, I, I, all these things women put in their minds, you know, we put, our, we destroy ourselves before we allow somebody else to destroy us. Mm -hmm. And he simply took my hands and he said to me, he looked at me really looked at me and he said, did I do that? Did I treat you like a prostitute? Did you feel like that? And I said, yes, I entered into this because I was afraid of losing you. And he started to cry and he said, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. You have been the greatest gift in my life. And I almost destroyed it. And he said, please forgive me. Mm. And I said, I forgive you. You know, people always question that moment when we tell this story. How could you just have forgiven him? Forgiveness only rots the vessel in which it is contained. And if I didn't forgive him, then there was no future. Right. And trust me when I say we forgive each other every single day. Mm. I'm so sorry I raised my voice to you. I'm so sorry... I was trying to manipulate you because I'm tired and I didn't want to do this thing you want to do. Whether mm. it's make love because men receive love through the physical body. And sometimes we as women, as our, as wives, we are tired. And, and for us, making love is more mental than it is physical. And for men, it is all physical. And so there were times when I denied him and said, I'm just tired. Would you leave me alone? And yet had I offered my body to him and prayed and, and just offered it to the Lord as sacrifice, he would have felt so loved and mm. therefore would have loved me in the way that I was needing. Mm. And that's the beauty of sacrificial love. This requires a sacrifice. And so as we stood on that back porch, he got down on one knee and he asked me to marry him again. And we said our vows to one another. Mm. And we started again in October of 2007. And we have not looked back since. Now, I'm not saying that the bruises of the abuse that we gave to one another through pornography and addiction don't still exist, that the temptations still aren't there. As a matter of fact, they are. Mm -hmm. But we have come up with a plan and a way to handle them that gives glory to God. And one of those things is nobody ever says no to the other. If one feels the need... Um, for comfort, for, you know, we talk about it. Like, why do you, are you insistent that we make love now? Well, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that I, you know, and then we either talk about it and then that's enough or I give, or he gives in a way that, that meets, you know, the spiritual and emotional need of the other in that moment. And we, that's the sacrifice of that. And I have to say, praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for the redemption and restoration of my marriage. Because let me tell you, 
We have been married 32 years. We do not physically look like the people that married one another in our 20s. <laughs> and our intimate life is the most beautiful, the most powerful, um, gracious, awesome gift that the Lord has ever given. Mm. And sex today is more fulfilling and more, um, I keep coming back to the word powerful because that's all I can think of right? than it ever was when it was steeped in addiction mm. but it's been hard and it's required a lot of hard work and it's required a lot of like i said therapy spiritual direction marriage counseling good solid people surrounding us and when we fall praise jesus for the gift of the sacrament of confession that we can go and we can say i thought about this person when i was making love to my husband and i shouldn't be and it's not a person i've ever met it was just somebody somewhere along the line and they popped into my mind and I didn't close the door mm. and I need to close the door. Mm. And, um, you know, it is possible to survive this addiction as it is with any addiction, but we only do it by relying on the grace of God. And because this podcast is about discerning marriage, this conversation that took place at five years of marriage, I, I strongly urge any couple to have a very honest conversation about any sexual sin that has existed in their life. And if you can't talk about that before you get married, then you should not be getting married because what marriage will do is exacerbate anything that exists in your personal life, in your emotional life, in your um, spiritual life. You're just, you're compounding it because you're not telling the truth. You're mm. actually standing at the altar before God as he prepares to receive your vows and you are not free to marry that other individual because you have kept these things to yourself. So mm. you must, you must in all humility. And if this, the individual that you are confessing to and you are, are sharing this deep, intimate shame with cannot handle that and walks away from you, then consider that the greatest gift you've ever been given mm -hmm. because that means somewhere along the way in married life, they would have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. mm. And we recommend y'all have that conversation before you get engaged because oh, the tip, once you're engaged and you're wedding planning, this is my big thing. Yep. Engaged couples are planning weddings, right? There's so much financial, you know, social, whatever pressure. If you wait until you're engaged to have this conversation, you will be very tempted to just get married and deal with it later there. It is possible to postpone weddings, to call off weddings, but it takes tremendous courage. And we don't live in a culture that fosters that. Right. So don't even, if you're listening to this, do not set yourself up for that temptation to just say, we'll deal with it when we get married and talk about it. If you haven't talked about it in pre-engagement, which is that seriously dating time where you're trying to figure out if you want to marry each other, that is the time to have this conversation. And it may feel like it's just too intimate to talk about then, but listen to Mary, listen to her. And she is, it is worth having the conversation and putting yourself out there, being brave in those really fearful moments. It is so worth it. it, it it's, it's going to save, it's going to save you from a lot of heartache. It's going to save you from, um, something quite disastrous. I mean, people are shocked that we're still married and that we still have 
sex and that we still like each other and mm -hmm. we still like to spend time together. I mean, they're literally shocked uh, when I they guess, hear the story. They're, and what that is, is the miraculous love of the Lord Jesus. Mm. That's his healing. Mm. That's his miracle. But what had to happen for that miracle to take place is two people had to let go of their egos. Mm -hmm. We had to let Humility. go of, and we had to swim through the sea mm -hmm. of shame. Yes. And we had to be honest and it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's physically hard. It actually hurts your body mm -hmm. to sit there and have that conversation. But I have to tell you the gift that it has given us and now to speak so freely and openly about it because it has no power in our marriage. Mm. It has no power in our life. Mm. And our son now who is 30 in a serious relationship and the pre-engagement, right? A miracle upon miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, how it has all come to be. For those people that are listening to this, if you think, where is my spouse? Where is the person that God has called me to marry? I am telling you right now, if you sincerely pray for them, hmm. this has been my prayer as a mother, father, God walk her in front of him, that he <laughs> cannot miss her. Hmm. Like that's how I prayed. So specifically, let her have this gift. Let her have this gift because I knew as his mother, what he needed. I don't know everything, but I knew things that were hard for him sure. to have a, have a, a spouse that would, would equal him and, right. and balance, right? Jerry does that for me. We balance one another. Mm. That is the intention of the Lord, right? So I've been now watching and he's in that serious, you know, pre-engagement. We have encouraged them guys, if there's anything, you know, we don't need to know mm -hmm. that's between the two of you and the Lord Jesus, but you have to talk about it. Yes. You have to talk about it and you have to be in a place where, um, you, nobody's going to run away. And so I'm so, I, I share this because they had that conversation mm. recently and things were brought up from him. I don't know what they were. I don't, it doesn't matter. Things were brought up from him. Things were brought up with her, but they shared it with one another. Mm. And Jerry and I knew like they walked in the door that night and I looked at him and I said, they've had the conversation. Mm because the care at which they were even physically caring for one another, him looking at her, are you okay? Mm. Her looking at him, are you okay? Like we're okay because God's going to work in this with us. Mm. And if he does lead us to the altar, then we're going to be able to come full, free, total, mm. fruitful. And we're going to be able to give ourselves to each other in a way that will make God rejoice. Mm. And that's what you want. Mm. And if I had to go through all of what I've been through again, mm. to watch those two, whatever God has in store for them, but for that moment, I would do it. Mm. Because that's what true love is. Mm. True love is not being afraid to humble yourself in front of the one who holds your heart and tell them in your weakness, this is who I am. This is what I've done, but I love you. Can you love me with all of that? Mm. And if they say no, then that is gift mm -hmm. because they aren't the one. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they say yes, that is gift because God has ordained that. Mm. And that is your yes.
Oh, Mary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're about at the end of our time. I had two more things I wanted to say. One was something that really stood out to me in this story um, that stood out in a new, fresh way. I've heard the story before. Thanks be to God, but not in such beautiful detail. And this one in particular stood out. You said when you were on the porch at Black Rock at the uh, the immersion course, you had just gone to the, your intense confession and Jerry came out and apologized and you forgave him. And they said, people say, how could you have forgiven him? It struck me. You had just received the mercy of God in the sacrament. Yeah. So in a, like you were because you had received his forgiveness, you were very primed to give his forgiveness. So y'all, if you are struggling to forgive people, particularly in these really deep, hurtful, painful wounds, maybe you're listening because you, you have had this conversation and you've been really hurt by someone, you know, by your partner who has been looking at porn and you're just devastated by it and you can't forgive and you can't move past it. One of the beautiful examples from Mary's legacy, go to confession, find a priest that is willing to let you confess what you can take ownership of in the relationship. And you will be, it will prime your heart to receive the other's apology and to grant forgiveness to them because the Lord has forgiven you. So I wanted to say that before we go, because that was a really beautiful, like, well, it's the uh, only way I could have done it. It's the only way I could have done it. It's beautiful because I had just walked out of I had just climbed out of the sea of shame for mm. the first time in my marriage oh. as an individual and as a wife. Wow. And how could I not? God had just said, I love you. How could mm. I not say the same to the man that he gave me? Mm. Amen. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, Mary, could you give us one practical tip related to this freedom, right? Of life after porn, of having the courage to walk through it. Just one practical thing that someone who's listening Uh, and is discerning marriage could implement in their life. One takeaway they could do. Have a plan when you step into the pool of temptation, have a plan. So uh, for us, um, it started with prayer. Um, And when I say prayer, I mean um, a deep, intimate connection with the Lord. So if you're not a person that spends time in quiet with Jesus every day, then you need to change that. Mm. Okay. Because he's going to reveal things to you and your heart in that intimate relationship that you're going to need to fix or to accept or receive love. You know, sometimes we always think, oh, I have to do something. No, God wants to love you exactly as you are because he is, he is your, he's your spouse. He's your, he's Jerry's spouse, right? He is our first spouse, our, the one that our beloved that we walk toward. So when temptation comes, that is usually our first backup plan is we go to those prayers. Jesus, I trust in you, the St. Michael prayer. St. Mary Magdalene's intercession, um, the Hail Mary, you know, things that are wrote that are even in a time of great distress, we remember, we don't have to grab a piece of paper, like it's there. Um, So have a plan for when the temptation comes, have a plan for when the devil steps on the bruise Mm. and reminds you Mm. of all you have done and all you have done to hurt yourself or someone else. Um, you do not, that is not of the Lord. You rebuke him in that moment and you send him back to the gates of hell where he belongs. Mm. But I had to learn to do that. Like when I was reminded of the shame, my spiritual director would say, what did St. Paul say? Your grace is sufficient. Your mm. grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Oh, I love that. Okay? Put on a praise and worship song. Say a prayer. Physically get up and move yourself. You know, come up with a battle plan. So that's my practical takeaway. Have Perfect. a battle plan. And part of that, I'll leave you one last thing. Come up with your war council. Who are the saints that are going to intercede for you 
and for your beloved, the one that you are walking this, this dating path with, this engagement path with, this marriage with, who is your war council? Who's on that council? St. Augustine, Our Lady of Sorrows, St. Mary Magdalene, St. Jude, St. Rita of Corsica, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Um, Rose of Lima, mm. St. Gianna Mola. Who are they? Who are you going to ask their constant intercession in and over your relationship? Choose them Beautiful. wisely because they are up in heaven. Just They're all competing for you to say yes to. They all just want, come on, I'm over here. St. Therese of Lisieux says, you know, St. Padre Pia is over there quietly going, I'm here. If you need me, I'm, oh, I'm I ready. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Mary, I cannot thank you enough for your courage, for your vulnerability, for your willingness to share your story. Um, and uh, we're just, we're so glad to have you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. God bless you too. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode with Mary. Uh, she has such a powerful story and I'm just so honored she was willing to share it with us. And I was moved to tears a couple of times. I don't know if you heard me like bashing my mic as I was wiping my tears. Um, but the Lord was certainly moving in my heart with the mercy and compassion that they showed each other um, after receiving it from the Lord. And so I hope that your heart was moved. I hope the Lord... Um, gave you courage if this is what you needed to get from this episode. And I hope that you are um, convicted that these are some really good, really important conversations to have before you get married. So before we go, I wanted to tell you about the fourth international theology of the body Congress, which will be virtual this year. Um, and it'll take place October 30th to November 1st. And you can see some of the cool things planned at tobcongress.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but keynotes include Scott Hahn, Christopher West, sister Miriam, James, George Weigel, and Dr. Janet Smith, plus breakout presenters like Matt Frad, Bill Donahue, and Jen Settle. So that's going to be amazing. I hope that you will join for it. It's going to be awesome. And if you enjoyed what you heard on this podcast, please leave us a review. We would be so grateful for it. Um, it really helps us uh, on our end to have people who enjoyed this podcast leave reviews. So we would love it. And um, we hope that you join us for our upcoming episodes. So until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the Theology of the Body, visit tobinstitute.org.